Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. What's the secret sauce to nailing discovery calls? Is it your intricate questioning strategy? Your ability to build quick rapport? We're exploring an underappreciated element today, the power of tonality. From a Marine drill sergeant's verbal shock and awe to real estate power players commanding eight-figure deals, our esteemed guests get vocal about vocal dynamics. Join us as we battle assumptions, pregnant pauses, and the occasional restraining order. You'll hear straight from the horse's mouth why tonality eclipses terminology and how losing your cool in discovery can cost you deals. If your team overlooks the tenor of of today's vocal victory tips, you'll condemn them to a tone-deaf discovery called defeats. Listen to this episode, Mastering the Art of Silence, How Pauses Can Improve Discovery. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and, of course, always at my virtual side is Chris Beal, the stage of sales, the prophet of profit and the hawking of caulking. But we also have two other extra special guests. We happen to be graced in our in-house home Phoenix GCU-based studios with the professor of prospecting, Sean Cease himself. Good afternoon, Sean. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. And we have one of our eight registered listeners, Chris, of our podcast, uh, the, uh, the, the most gracious and esteemed Henry Wotia from Real Source. Henry, it's great to have you on the podcast, back on the podcast. I think you're one of our earlier guests, I believe so, Chris. So uh, so good to have you, Thank gentlemen. You. We have a first here at Market Dominance, guys. We actually have four talking heads, three brains amongst four talking heads. So we'll see what we can do here. What we wanted to talk about is something we were talking about before we jumped on air. And Chris, I want to have you have the opportunity to tee up Henry because I thought it was a compelling topic about tonality, but not just in cold calls, which we often talk about uh, the surfboard and the surfer. But uh, Henry brought up a very compelling point. Sean, I'd like to get your take on this too, about the importance of tonality and when and how you use it in discovery calls, Chris. So I'll leave it to you to tee up our good friend Henry here and let's dive into this topic. Sure. I mean, the the conversation we were just having was about sort of, uh, you know, how much of the, well, we were talking a little bit about Branch 49 and how much of the waterfront uh, makes sense to cover, right? Or the funnel or whatever. The big question is always, well, where's the bottleneck, right? We always talk about theory of constraints on this show. And we also know if you ever address the bottleneck, you got to stand back. You got to stand back when you've, when you've done something about the constraint and see if it moves and if so, where it moves. Because it's actually not easy to predict. It could move up or it could move down, so to speak, in processes. It doesn't move sideways too often. And Henry was talking about how when we were just chatting out there, Oh, where you're sitting now, where he's sitting, or he's sitting, or I'm sitting, but where somebody else is, or you're sitting, Corey. He was talking about how the the kind of tonality and disfluencies also, the whole tonality package, I call it, has actually become as important or more important to him as he's evolved in the way that he does discovery. And what I thought was so cool about what he hit on is, you know, we call it the confessional, Right. And the question is, well, what are you confessing to? And while you're doing that confessing, are you learning? Are you getting self-knowledge, knowledge of your situation as a result that's facilitated by the conversation? And I think that was a point that Henry was making. So with that, 
You know, Henry, what was the point you were making? Because, uh, frankly, I was just eating tacos and uh, listening in. Uh, well, it was probably the, the kind of the ride on piece to the opening comment I made about some recent conversations, Chris, you and I have had, and I'll keep it brief to get back to your question. But the fact that the top of funnel has been improved so much by the good thinking here from market dominance guys, the facilitation from connect and sell, it, it gets back to the wood turning analogy that you had so wisely laid out probably at least a couple of years ago on this podcast. But the idea that I can get enough reps in that I'm beginning to pattern match and seeing kind of ghosts in the machine, so to speak, as it relates to discovery. And a lot of what I've been discovering about my own discovery process has been effectively getting out of the way. And a lot of getting out of the way is facilitating the prospect to do more and more self-discovery. I will tell you that I'm not quite, I don't have a fully uh, baked theory on this yet, or the framework is not completely fleshed out. So this is definitely a work in progress. And I'd say some of my insights are only really becoming to manifest in the last couple of months. But tonality has been a huge piece of that. So getting back more to the core of what Corey and you are, are asking me, the tonality piece, not just open-ended questions, but the framing of those questions in a way that elicits, I think, hopefully a sign of genuine concern and a uh, search for, for meaning from the prospect so that they can effectively self-discover by being more open not necessarily just from a trust perspective, but I think almost more open in their own thinking, uh, what they are willing to put out there. I know I'm speaking in very broad strokes, but nonetheless, it's, it's like I said, it's a work in progress, but I'm realizing just how crucial tonality is in the discovery call. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it was primarily in the domain of a cold call, and it, it very much is too, but I've been slowly peeling back the layers of um, my own self-limiting beliefs on this topic. And in fact, Corey, as I think I mentioned to you a little bit before, I was frankly a big skeptical uh, when I was an early listener of just the importance of phrasing, tonality, voice. I kind of thought, oh, that's just kind of huckster salesmanship type stuff. And I'm a convert. So I've come a long way in that. <laughs> and I'm just realizing that not only is it important, but it's important across a broader range of, of the sales cycle. Well, it still may be huckster sales type stuff, but it works, right? It's the, the laws of gravity. I may not believe yeah. in gravity, but gravity believes in me. Sean, right. from your perspective, especially being a disc connoisseur, what do you say to what Henry is confessing to us here about tonality and with the four different types of personalities, perhaps? Are, are some personalities more susceptible, more open to that verbal disfluency, the ahs and the ums, and that uh, uh, generating that authenticity where it doesn't sound like a TED talk, it doesn't sound like the 150th time I've done this? I think that the research on the personality stuff, especially the DISC, you know, the four different personality types, um, that data is pretty conclusive that it does matter, you know, how you speak to people. But it's probably not, it's one of many, many different data points. But to answer your question directly, uh, to get in the weeds a little bit, you know, the I, the influence type in, uh, in DISC are the kind of people that will eat up a whole entire discovery call talking about their fishing trip if you forget to get them on task. Right. And, you know, in contrast, example to that is if you're talking to somebody calculative, like a CFO, an engineer or something like that, you may want to dispense with pleasantries. But on the other hand, I think it's still very effective to just be mindful of, you know, the words that we use, like genuine uh, transparency or being transparent, being genuine, being authentic, empathetic, things like this. If you're not being true to those definitions, I mean, in the... 
in even a uh, maybe religious way or something like that. If, if it's not true, then it comes across as disingenuous. And that just reeks, you know, it reeks of sales and commerce and things like this. And so, yeah, it, it's there's no doubt about it. Tone, pace, pitch, all very important. And if you're listening pretty well, people will tell you everything, right? And people are just dying to tell you their stories. And that's what I always find weird about people who have trouble with discovery. And I would, tra- I would trace it right back to your inability to not only create a rapport with somebody so that you have a long-standing rapport, but at the very moment that you start a conversation that you can enter a rapport. And let me give you an example. Frequently, I send Chris weird messages, maybe at eight or nine or 10 o'clock at night or something like this when I have an idea, right? And Chris will come back and, and tell me, hey, it's a bad time. I'm walking, I'm getting on a plane to go to Europe or Australia or something like this, right? So Chris and I have a rapport, but sometimes when I call him up, it's the wrong time. And we, we have an inability to begin a report, to have a conversation about what I wanted to talk to. The time is not right. And just pay attention to what someone's telling you and they'll tell you everything you need to know. Do you find, that's an excellent point. It, it begets the question, Henry and Chris, on to partition a discovery call. We could break this down like our friend Oren Claff does when he does a pitch. Are there certain aspects, Henry, and Chris, when you're conducting a discovery call that you found or that you discovered uh, require more sensitivity to tonality, uh, verbal disfluencies than other portions of the call. For instance, you're talking about pricing or you're talking about uh, pain or when you're talking about building the, uh, the rapport up front, anything that you've observed or anything that you discovered in that area. I would say if I had to kind of frame it, if there's kind of a typical kind of structural pattern to my discovery calls, it's probably, I'll call it step two. The first step to some degree is a little bit of a slight recalibration of, okay, why are we here? Why are we assembled today? Uh, I will provide a little bit of additional kind of contextual reminder of why we had reached out because it's not uncommon that our discovery calls, I mean, I'm speaking for the most part to fairly senior level executives. So at the earliest, we are usually two weeks beyond when that discovery call was scheduled. They, They have full calendars, they're busy. So there's just a little bit of kind of the first phase of a bit of reminder, some context. Here's what we do. Here's what the Venn diagram overlaps. Uh, Hopefully that process is a little bit of a kind of trust that's being kind of reestablished or built upon even further. Uh, Again, the tonality can be part of that. But I would say as a part of really the discovery is then trying to transition out of that because it's not really a commercial about us when I open. It's just a contextual framework. Then it's about getting into them uh, what they're doing, what's kind of on their I guess their windscreen, what are they looking at or through that is really kind of directing where they are vectoring as, as, a, as a company, as a firm. Uh, you know, in our world, we're, we're dealing with a subset of commercial real estate assets. So there's a lot of things that, that tie into not only internal factors, but external factors. And um, I think it's kind of getting a lay of the land. And then they kind of contextualize their piece. Now we've kind of gone from serving up from our side, a contextual reason why we're here today. Then we kind of get phase two where they have responded back somewhat contextualizing where they fit in the marketplace and then we start diving into the here and the now and i think that's where kind of if we would call it step three where i'm beginning to kind of get this getting back to the piece we're talking about which is getting them to kind of dial into the moment where does their company fit into the framework of the current market the current dynamics how are they seen on a go forward basis and getting them to start having thoughtful, self-reflective conversation, that's kind of the piece that I was referring to earlier. So that's a very long-winded answer to your question. I would say it's kind of that third step, if you will, 
Uh, and again, like I did mention a moment ago, I mean, this is still a work in progress for me. So that my thinking is not as clarified as I'd like it to be on this. But I can just tell you, this is, again, this is some of the pattern matching that I'm starting to see unfold here over the last few months. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. And Chris, you're a big believer in our friend Chris Voss and a lot of the mirroring techniques that he used. And I could see how mirroring could be incredibly effective in certain aspects of discovery. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just, I divide these conversations into two big sort of domains. One is the domain of the factual, where you're, you're relatively safe talking about things that are factual. Uh, some might be more sensitive than others, you know, facts. But if somebody were to get in a discovery call with me and, you know, two minutes into the call, they say, so, so Chris, you know, what's, uh, what's connecting sales? Uh, you know, what's your current run rate revenue? What are your gross margins? And uh, who on your team are you most concerned about that you think you might have to uh, do something about? And they do that two minutes in. It's like, I ain't going there, right? Whereas in a second call or somewhere, you know, sometime we really have a reason to talk about those facts. They won't have to be as skilled uh, and just waiting helps. That's what Sean was talking about. Just sometimes you just got to wait. You know, a disfluency is simply a form of waiting. You're waiting and letting that moment be filled in with what's in their minds. Like when I, and I teach really young people to play the piano, I always make this point, which is you only need to provide the structure, the sound, they'll fill in the rest in their head. <laughs> the music happens over there, not out here, not in our hands. It happens inside of them, right? But then there's another whole range of things that we do end up sometimes hitting on, which are really sensitive issues, like political issues internally, or concerns that they might that this person might have about their own job, or maybe they're not going to be at that company anymore. And you know, if they would tell tell you that, that'd be great. Where I think we get hung up there, and where I think uh, tonality disfluencies, mirroring all of these techniques. And I never really think of them much as techniques, but all of these kinds of things you could find yourself doing if you were any good at the stuff, where they're just super important is where it's highly likely there are incorrect assumptions being held by you and by the other party. And it's really hard to get underneath incorrect assumptions because in order to correct one, you have to give up something that you believe. You have to, or they have to. People don't like to give up anything, right? We all know that old thing. You know, if I take fifty bucks from you, you you'll fight me till the end of time. If I offer you fifty bucks, you'll ignore me and go on with you know your cat videos, right? It's a very tricky business to get beyond assumptions. I had one just the other day that was interesting. I was conducting a discovery call with a very senior person at a huge insurance company. Had a very specific problem that he had been advised we could help with. I jumped to the wrong conclusion about the nature of the potential solution 
And then seven minutes later, thank goodness, he said, no, no, you don't get it. What we want to do is X. Thank goodness he felt okay correcting my assumption, which was incorrect. But that's where had I been a little less sure of myself, I wouldn't have gone as far down that road and he wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have wasted seven minutes. So it's like that TED talk thing, you know, talking as though you know what you're talking about causes other people to feel like they should either oppose you <laughs> or shut up. Right. Well, I think, you know, Sean, certainly your career, just like you have Mr. Rice on board at Connect and Sell, uh, who's a former Marine. Sean, the importance of tone if you're a drill instructor, you uh, were you a Hollywood Marine or are you a Paris Island Marine? I don't uh, never I think we had covered that yet. I was outside of the runway in San Diego. Okay, yeah, so California, Marine, U.S. Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego. Okay, so you talk about the first couple of days establishing tone, Chris. Certainly, I don't imagine verbal disfluencies, uh, right, Henry, uh, work too well with a drill instructor trying to influence 17, 8-year-olds <laughs> getting off the bus, putting their feet on the yellow footprints. So uh, how did tone influence you from a perspective of uh, raising the stakes about what you need to know about uh, what you're going to go through for the next 13 years? Yeah, tone down. I, I can't even. It's, it's frightening, right? I mean, it's actually frightening for an 18 year old to be at boot camp. It, it's frightening. Let me tell you this: tonality is everything, and it is just shock the fear into you. It's basically a reset, right? You just forget everything that you learned somewhere else because when you walk out of here, you're going to have a whole new plan for how you go about doing things, all the way from lining up your belt to uh, shaving to uh, lining up your, uh, you know, just being completely squared away. But I'll tell you a funny story. Because you imagine having a name like a uh, last name like Cease on the firing line, you know, when you're going to learn to fire your rifle. Right. And I was accused of being so goddamn stupid that I'd start firing when they said cease fire. Right. So. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I could I, right now I think about it right now is I start shrieking because I remember like I get it, man. I am not going to fire my rifle. I know what cease means. I get it. But it just relentless. So. I know what ceasefire means, and I know that uh, my trigger should, I mean, this is 30 years ago, right? I could still hear it like it was yesterday. Trigger finger off the trigger and less firing. Mm -hmm. It's 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 in me. It's embedded in me. It, it so yeah. Tonality. I mean, how can be even more important in the in the Marine Corps training, folks, where you're actually trying to basically shock someone and strip them of everything that they've learned so far, so that you could be created in the Marine Corps image, right? Kind of like a god mold kind of uh, thing. But one one thing I wanted to touch on that popped up in my mind when it comes to discovery. And earlier we were talking. I shared with you this this uh, phrase that I've been using recently, which is I'm seeing a lot of teams having gaining. You know, short-term tactical wins, you know, specialization, other tools, things like this, quick wins, dopamine hits um, at the expense of long-term strategic failures, right? So, so you get these short-term wins by automations, chat, all these, whatever, you'll make it work, right? If it's chat GPT, you're going to go do that and go, wow, look what I made, short-term win, you know, tactical win, long-term strategic failure. And I, one of the things that I think about when it comes to discovery is that, uh, and again, it's just another real simple phrase, is that we either do it together or we don't do it at all. In other words, in discovery for me is that I also have some things that I need to know about you, not like the pains and the problems and how we can help you and things like that, but how does your company actually buy something? When was the last time you bought something? 
who else do I need to get involved with this? It's the two-way street to build kind of a, a mutual going forward, you know, and it always seems like it ends up being more of a battle, like a sparring match or something like that. Like I'm trying to get these answers, questions from you. Can I convince you that we solve a pain or something like that? And we too quickly get away from uh, that concept of we either do this together or that's me saying that we either do this together or we don't do it at all, which means that in the beginning, you know, it sets some expectations. Here are some of the things I'm after. What are you after? Hey, if I give you a call, will you call me back? You know, these little tiny things that make all the difference in building a relationship with someone and then keeping to your word and then coming back and, and telling people. Let me share with you something at the end of a cold call where we set a meeting, right? At the very end of it, it takes about five or six seconds. Hey, Corey, uh, any reason why you, you wouldn't make it to this meeting, you know? No, I saw my calendar. I'm good to go. We're good to go. Shonda, I appreciate that. Let's, let's just say this. In the off chance that you don't make it, can you and I agree that we'll work to reschedule it right away? That way you won't have to get a restraining order because I'm going to follow up with you. You know, you're going to go, yeah, you bet. But I'm going to use that again. I'm going to use that in my language later on when you don't show up or something does happen because, you know, and I'm going to be true to my word. I'm going to remind you, hey, we agreed that we'd reschedule this thing. Let's get it done. You know, and setting these expectations around, let's do this together or... Not at all. Or yeah, I shared with you earlier today, one more thought on my calendar and on my about section in LinkedIn, it query says, Hey, let's get together and see what we can, if we like each other well enough to work together, shake something out of the trees. If not, we'll shake hands and go our separate ways. That's my intro call. Cause I want to find out, is there something here and let's both work on it together. Mm -hmm. You know, those are some of my, well, some of my thoughts that set the stage for a long-term. Just as you went into character there and delivered uh, that message about, can we agree to work together? and find a way to get this back on the calendar if, if something does get in the way. I can imagine, Henry, that your high-stakes world of medical real estate properties, these aren't six-figure opportunities. These are seven, eight-figure deals going on here. So credibility, certainty has to win the day. Uh, you're dealing with a very competitive product. You mentioned to, uh, to me a few years ago, I think, right? I mean, you're dealing with just what's left, right? The, it's not even the alpha of a lot of these deals. And so tone implying maybe uncertainty, tone implying that maybe you're not the best person for this role, you're a commodity, uh, there's some commission breath. That makes a difference in overall how much uh, it makes. So how do you deal with, how do you balance the fact that you're trying to get that to be authentic, but you also not necessarily have to be a, the drill instructor here, as we heard from Sean, but you do have to be in a position of authority to say, listen, your money's safe with me. I'm not going to put your money to sleep. I know what I'm doing. I know these properties. I've already done the vetting. How do you balance that in your, uh, in, especially in your world? It's a good question. I, and I don't know that I have an immediate just pat answer for you. There's no question tonality is a piece of it. I think asking, I'd say framing the questions correctly is a lot of it. And that framing is a combination in my world of it is tonality. I think it's using certain nomenclature correctly. I think it's also, I will tell you the big thing tonality wise is, I would say there's a, there's a lot of, um, so there's this phrase, there's riches in the niches. And, and we kind of have taken that approach at a high level for the business model, but is it a discovery call? But I think there's a lot of riches in silence and the ability to basically shut up after asking a question and being comfortable with sometimes some very pregnant pauses, because to your point, Corey, and I, and I know I'm meandering a little bit and answering it, but you know we're dealing typically with eight figure or more size transactions. The questions that surround those in terms of where does this asset sit in your overall 
thesis? Where is this from a harvesting and recycling of capital perspective? These are big questions. And even for people that are busy trafficking in these type of assets on a day in day out basis, if we're really getting into true discovery and they're really being contemplative about what they're providing you in terms of feedback and answers, they're going to need a few seconds themselves to think about that. So I, I think this is another example of getting out of the way at almost at a tactical level, which is just being quiet. Um, I think that actually also instills some credibility because you're not trying to fill the gaps. You're not uncomfortable with the silence. I think that in and of itself provides maybe a tactical level benefit, but the, I think the more strategic benefit is you're hopefully actually getting better quality responses from the prospect. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.